the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Whatever's on your heart, all you've got to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. That's our primary number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching Ezra chapter 3. Actually, I'm going to be doing chapters 2 and 3, but chapter 2 is just a long list of of uh, names and, and information, people that, that came back from Babylon, the, uh, the, the returning exiles. Uh, so I won't be able to read all that. We'll get through that very, very quickly. But chapter 3 is about putting first things first, keeping the most important things the priority of our life. And it is a rich, rich chapter. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. You can watch the Bible study at calvarysa.com if you are interested. If not, you can come and join us in person. We always have room on Wednesday nights. And uh, we would love to see you uh, tomorrow. Of course, Paula will be here in the date day edition of the program. And uh, that's always uh, a fun day, at least for me it is, and I know for most of you. Well, let's get to some questions that have been sent while we wait some phone calls. Uh, the phones were really quiet yesterday, so maybe that'll pick up today. Our first one really isn't a question. It's just uh, an email from George, who is a, a long-time caller, an old long-time caller. He moved to California, so we haven't heard from him in a long time. But he just wanted to let me know that he, he thinks of us often and is uh, sometimes prayers. Ask the Lord to be with me. Uh, and George, I, I'm, I'm rather than replying by email, uh, I know you listen to the program online. Uh, it's good to hear that you're serving in the church now, and God bless you. Um, thanks for letting us know you're doing well, and I would always, uh, I always appreciate that people will let us know how they're doing. Um, Terry from our email inbox writes this: In Hosea ten twelve and Joel two twenty three, there's a reference to the former and latter rains. Is this referring to the resurrection and rapture? Also, it says it occurs in the first month. So what would that be? Thank you. Now, uh, Terry, I'm going to read the passages. Uh, Hosea doesn't say anything about the, the, the former or latter rains. Hosea says, uh, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. So the idea is that as we press into the Lord, and as we walk in the ways of righteousness, 
um, then God is going to rain his righteousness on us. And that's just sort of a, 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 a blessing that he's going to pour out. Um, uh, well, you didn't ask about this. The idea of breaking up your fallow ground is consistent through the Old Testament. Um, and um, it, it, it's a principle that I think is New Testament believers, we need always, always to have in view um, going where you haven't been before, being faithful in your service. Uh, when we find ourselves shallow in our walk with the Lord or when we find our hearts getting a little hard, we got to break it up. You can do that, of course, through repentance and, uh, and, and uh, reconciliation with God. So the Hosea passage doesn't really talk about that. Uh, Joel 2.23, it says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And that doesn't say anything at all, Terry, about um, the, the rapture or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think sometimes we look at these prophecies and we take them out of context and we find ourselves over-spiritualizing them. Um, literally, in this passage of Scripture, uh, we have to remember that Joel is talking about the after-effects of a catastrophic locust invasion. And um, so uh, Joel is simply telling them that um, things are going to get better. Uh, he's going to say, I will restore the years for you that the locust ended up. So um, what he's saying is, I'm looking forward to the restoration that God promised. Um, and he's, and he's uh, telling uh, Judah to look forward by faith um, because all they can see is ruin. So look forward to the promises of God um, by faith before you can see it. Um, Joel, again, as a prophet, hearing God's word, uh, he could already see it happening. Uh, we, in, in Joel, we just finished this a couple of weeks ago uh, here at Calvary Chapel. Um, he could see um, that, that there was greenery coming back. Um, when he says he's given you the former rain faithfully and the latter rain in the first month, um, we need to remember the destruction that the, the, the locust invasion uh, brought upon uh, Judah. Um, he's again looking forward by faith to seeing God restoring both the former and the latter rain in Israel. In other words, there's not going to be any drought so things can grow again. Um, the, the former rain simply refers to um, uh, the autumn rains. The latter rain uh, refers to the spring rains. Uh, when God restores these rains, Joel is promising that uh, Judah's threshing floors uh, and wine vats will be absolutely full, abundantly so. Now, Maybe you're referring to this, and I don't know this um, for sure because you didn't really give me any indication of that, Terry. But um, maybe because there's a, 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 a charismatic movement, the, the former rains and the latter rain uh, movement, um, and uh, it's, it's an excessive charismatic movement. Um, but but it's often we'll take passages like this and say, see, that's the justification uh, for the latter rain. In other words, they think in the latter days, God is going to pour out the rain of his spirit and there's going to be neat movements. It's interesting that um, the, the, the name came from a movement in 1948 started by a, a, a man named William Branham. Now, Branham was one of the uh, he was a journalist covering um, the uh, Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s. Uh, and, and Branham was so moved by, by what he believed was a genuine move of the Spirit that he influenced a generation of Pentecostal preachers, uh, including uh, one we would know the name, Oral Roberts. And there was just all kinds of weird and crazy things going on. Um, but uh, the 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 influence of the latter rain movement lasted um, beyond Branham's life uh, and uh, popularized uh, some attitudes and doctrines that are prominent in, in so-called revival movements today, the fivefold ministry, uh, the restoration of apostles and prophets. Now, we know that can't be true, according to Ephesians chapter 2, um, uh, an emphasis on signs and wonders, 
uh, an emphasis on replacement theology, which is absolutely evil and heretical. Um, the church replaces Israel. So there's all kinds of things there that um, are, are problematic. Um, just understand, Joel is simply reminding Israel, Judah, in fact, that God is faithful and he will restore the reins, the growth will come back, and the things that you struggle with, the things that you are are uh, are looking forward to, God has promised me, and that should have been a great source of encouragement for them, um, Terry. Whether it was or not, we don't really know for sure. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's an interesting question. This one's from Beverly. She says, I left the Catholic Church, uh, but find myself still praying the rosary and to saints, old habits, I know, but they feel good. The idea is she feels comfortable there, and she wants to know if this is okay. And Beverly, the only thing I can say to you is it's okay if you like not having your prayers heard. Um, there, there's no value at all in praying the rosary. There's certainly no value, and in fact, it diminishes the work of Jesus Christ if you're praying to saints or if you're praying to Mary. Um, uh, I understand old habits. I understand um, even that old habits can make you feel religious, but it's not okay. It's not okay. If you left the Catholic Church and you're born again, now that's the most important question, Beverly. Are you born again? Because if you're born again, you can now... Speak directly to the Lord yourself. You don't have to go through anybody. You don't have to repeat those silly prayers. Um, It's not okay to hold on to those old religious things that had no value when you believed in it. Certainly don't have any value when you're not doing it. So uh, it's not okay. Uh, If anyone is in Christ, he, in this case she, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Beverly, what you've got to do is let go of all of those old religious habits. Again, I want to emphasize, they have no value at all. And most of us pray because we want our prayers to be heard in heaven. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. He's finished the work, and we need to know that. Here is a question anonymously sent. Um... A woman I know said David raped Bathsheba. Is that true? Um, Anonymous, I haven't had this question since the Me Too movement was uh, running full strength. Um, um, You know, there was a a so-called feminist way of looking at the scriptures, and victims are always looking uh, for for other victims. And so that was what they said. Well, you know, uh, David is a man after God's own heart, but how could that be? Because he raped Bathsheba. Let me say this very clearly. He did not rape Bathsheba. Now, it's true he was in a position of influence over her and everybody else. And uh, there's there's no doubt that David sinned. All you need to do is read Psalm 51 and you get the confession from David's heart and he held nothing back. He got caught. The prophet Nathan came in and said, you're the man, David. And, and David repented. He'd been holding it in for nearly a year. Um, we have Psalm 32, which talks about uh, what was going on physically in him while he was trying to hold it in. Uh, in inside my bones waxed away, he said. Uh, it just, just that separation from God because of that unconfessed sin was destroying him. But David did not rape Bathsheba, not at all. As the king, he could have ordered her to come, and she would have come. Um, Maybe she had no choice. But the way the narrative is related to us, Anonymous, um, it indicates that they were maybe a little flirty. It all started when David was in a place he wasn't supposed to be. All of this happened at a time when kings went to war, and David stayed home. If you're not where you're supposed to be, you're going to get in trouble. David was not where he was supposed to be, nor was he doing what he was supposed to do. He wasn't representing the Lord, nor was he protecting his people. And idle hands, and that's exactly what happened. Well, evidently, um, Bathsheba, knowing where David lived, uh, knowing that her rooftop was below his, um, there was some... We would call it flirting going on. It would probably be more than that. And, and, and um, you know, it, it, I think, clearly indicates 
that uh, she had a desire for him, and it didn't take long for David to have a desire for her. Uh, she was bathing. She was naked on her rooftop, um, uh, knowing I'm confident that David was watching, and it was all sort of a perfect storm engineered by an enemy. And um, um, when David sent for her, she was happy to be sent for. And while I'm sure she loved her husband, um, this was one of those moments where um, lust overwhelmed uh, righteousness and uh, both David and Bathsheba fell. David accepts full responsibility for it. Um, there were consequences, severe consequences. The baby that she was carrying um, died uh, shortly after birth. Uh, so, it, again, it was not a good thing, but it is a, a horrible imposition on a man that we know, called by God himself, a man after my own heart. Uh, it's a horrible imposition and judgmental and, I think, unnecessarily um, critical of of uh, David based on no evidence at all other than the fact that we were at the Me Too movement when this sort of got legs. David did not rape her. Um, they were both wrong. David confessed his sin. I am certain that Bathsheba did as well. We just don't have any scripture to validate her repentance. Certainly, if David raped her um, um, after her husband's death, uh, there wouldn't have been uh, a desire in her heart to to go to David at all. And clearly, when they remarried or when they got married, uh, it was a planned event. As soon as the period of mourning was over, David took her in, tried to make it look like an act of benevolence on his part, but it really wasn't. It was simply more and more lust. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. Lisa says, my daughter is getting ready to go to college and I'm fearful for her. Is there any way I can help prepare her for the attacks on her faith. Um, Lisa, I, I think conversation is really, really beneficial. Um, you know where your daughter's faith is. If she's been born again, the power of the Spirit lives in her, and she can withstand the attacks on her faith. Now, part of the problem that we have in our world, especially um, so many that went to Christian uh, schools and things, they're kind of sheltered and they believe it's true, but they don't really have an experience themselves. And college is one of those places, Lisa, where our children uh, are are given the opportunity of their own free will to make their own choices. Uh, I always call university or people that go into the job world after graduating from high school, it's sort of like, okay, now you're going to have your tree of choice. Just like Adam and Eve had a tree in the garden, just one that they couldn't. Uh, eat from, they made the wrong choice. Well, we all have a tree of choice because your daughter has to decide on her own. It can't be mom and dad's faith anymore. It can only be her faith. It has to be strong. It has to be mature. And if it is a mature faith, then she'll be fine. If her faith isn't mature, prepare her for what's going to happen. And challenge her. Read your Bible. Find out whether or not the Bible's the Word of God, and then you're going to have a decision to make. Is what the professor who hates God is telling you true, or is what God said through his Word true? And you need to understand that in if you don't know that for yourself, if you don't have that personal conviction, then um, your faith is going to be shaken. So that's that's your responsibility as a parent, just to warn her. But there's nothing you can do. Um, she's going to have to make choices. Encourage her to keep the lines of communication open. But if she's not in the Word, if she's not holding firm to the truth of the Word of God, then um, then there's going to be some difficulties for her. It, it, it's That's just the way it's going to be. Uh, let her know that you love her. Let her know that she can ask any questions that she has. But she's the one now. As a young adult, she's the one who has to put in the work and make the effort to be committed to what we know is true. And I say this 
all the time, at least here at Calvary Chapel, I tell our, our people, parents or kids, that if you're not in the Word, if you're not a student, I don't just mean a casual reader, but if you're not really in the Word, then you're going to be won over by the propaganda of this world. It's that simple. There's just too much, and these kids now are inundated with social media, by social media. They're brainwashed by social media. The peer pressure is absolutely overwhelming, and if they don't have something that is an anchor, something to hold on to, the foundation of their faith, if they don't have that, then they're going to be won over by the things of the world. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we're not to be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that renewing of our mind has to come through the Word of God. And it has to be something that we do on a, on a regular basis. And too many of our kids just haven't been exposed. They go to Sunday school or they go to youth church, um, but they haven't been taught the Word. At least it's the reason that we teach our kids the Bible from literally toddlers on up. We don't, we don't have programs or curriculums. Um, we, we teach them the Word. And the reason we do that is to prepare them. It's, if they fall away, we don't want it to be our fault. And I can tell your daughter, if she falls away, that uh, it won't be your fault. Be there for her, love her, but always be exhorting her to get into the Word. Thank you, Lisa. Let's go to Lucy on line one from Universal City. Lucy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Lucy. Thank you. Good. Um, as I have been preparing um, a Bible study for Calvary Crafters next Tuesday, it dawned on me that this last question you touched on about the falling away of people mm-hmm. um, is part of my text um, for the Bible study. I'm doing Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. And uh, there, Paul talks about Alexander and the difficulty that he caused him by Mm -hmm. um, accusing him, perhaps, and then Demas abandoning him. And because of his love for this world um, and several others that had to part ways. Um, some for necessity and some because Paul had a job for them to do, like to go get his cloak. Um, so I've had a difficult time formulating just one clear question on all of this, but it, it struck me that so many people now are falling away. And it is so important to hold fast to the Word of God, and it is so important to continue growing in maturity, because as I came to the end of my study, I thought, oh, wow, and Paul does not hold any bitterness against all of these people, and, uh, and how it's my desire to do the same, to to just keep loving, like Paula says, arms down, heart open, and let it be God to defend us if the time should be uh, called on for that. Um, so I guess my my desire for calling is not necessarily a question, but kind of a, a request that you enrich us with a little bit more that maybe God has enlightened you with regarding this um, this passage of scriptures, yeah. um, something that stands out for you. And thank you, Pastor Ron, for being such a, a guide to the scriptures as as you hang on to Jesus and and tell us to do the same. <laughs> Thanks, Lucy. Thank you. 
Thanks. I'll do this now. Uh, we're, we're coming up on a hard break, so it, it, I'll, I'll just get started with this, and then I'll come back and talk about it at the top of the uh, the next half hour. Um, a couple of things. You, you know, um, uh, Paul, he, when he talked about Alexander the metalsmith, uh, he said, he's done me great harm. Uh, so so uh, they weren't friends. Um, but but we know there was no bitterness in Paul's heart. He was simply dealing with the reality. And Lucy, everybody who teaches a word is going to have to deal with people who fall away. The word divides. In fact, the book of Hebrews is filled with, with warnings against uh, spiritual laziness, against drifting away, uh, against being deceived, all of those things. And clearly, we have to be on guard always in these last days. Um, uh, when we come back from the commercial break, uh, I want to talk about Demas for a moment because Demas is one of the saddest examples in our New Testament and it rarely gets any notice. So I'll come back on the other half uh, of our program and uh, talk about this a little bit more. Lucy, thank you for calling. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll free 877 877- 630-KSLR. This is the Wednesday edition of the Words of Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let me get back to Lucy's question and then we will... Uh, get to some questions that have been coming in and await any more phone calls. Um, Let me see this, and this isn't for Lucy personally, but for everybody out there. If you're sharing the truth, there are going to be people who don't want to do what God says, and they're going to fade away. Um, God lets them make their own choice. And so often we want to go rescue them and we want to bring them back. Um, uh, You can't do that. There's nothing you can do. When um, um, Demas left, uh, as an example, I said Demas is, is, is to me, really sad. Um, I always read verses 9 and 10 this way in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly, writing to Timothy, of course, for Demas. And I always insert the word for even Demas. And it's almost like Paul is, is shaking his head. Because Demas, who is described three times in Scripture... The two other times he's described, he's called, and I like the King James, a loyal yoke fellow. In other words, this was a man who stood shoulder to shoulder with the Apostle Paul and demonstrated his trustworthiness, his his solidness in in Christ. Um, and yet, we're told in that book, for even Demas, because he loved this world. That's what causes people to walk away from the Lord. They love the world. Now, they're not going to say, well, I'm going into sin. I don't care. what." So what they do is they rationalize it. Well, it's okay to do these things, and you don't have to, to be that committed and that radical uh, to, to, to be a Christian. Well, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, has gone to Thessalonica. Um, what he's saying is, I'm all alone, and the people that I used to be able to count on, I can no longer count on. And Lucy, this is for you. The people that we encounter in our service for the Lord ultimately make their own choices. And we got to be okay with that. Don't engage them in conversation. They know what they're doing is wrong. Let that be the job of the Holy Spirit. Just let them know. Sorry you're leaving. Or, or if you're complaining about things, then go ahead and leave. If you ever want to get serious about the Lord again, I'm going to be here for you because I love you. And just leave it at that. But that's exactly um, um, what Paul did with Demas. He didn't go send a search party out for Demas. He didn't um, uh, do anything um, to, to put pressure on him. Uh, people have the right, the free will given by God to make their own decisions. And the reality has always been people are going to uh, serve God uh, for a while 
and then they're going to make a decision. God takes them a little deeper and gives them a little more responsibility. They're going to make decisions, and sadly, we see a lot of people making the wrong decisions. And and Paul tells us the reason for those decisions is because they love the things of this world. It's just that straightforward. So we've got to be okay with that. And then we can pray for the people. Don't get bitter. Um, don't get engaged in an argument. Just tell people, warn people if, if necessary. Paul is warning them about Alexander the metal worker. Um, he caused Paul a lot of trouble, and, and he's marking him out, and there are others that he marks out. Uh, watch out for these men. Um, the, the Judaizers, he says, uh, watch out for these mutilators of the flesh. So it's really important that we understand if God gives people the free will to, to, to walk away, then we have to watch them walk away. We pray for them. We let them know we're always going to be here. One of the things that's happened at our church, Lucy, over the years, we're 28 years in now, and one of the things that's happened over and over and over is that we've seen people who walked away, some of them loudly, some of them trying to cause problems. Um, um, but th- after years and years and years, they come back. And they see that we're here doing exactly the same thing. They walk into a room that's filled with the joy of the Lord. Um, and, and many times they come back. we got to be okay uh, because God is okay with them walking away. It's a hard thing. We like to win people, convince them. But the truth is, people want to sin. And they're going to rationalize doing it. And that was the case uh, with Demas. Lucy, thank you for the call. It's always good to hear from you. Here is a question. This one is from James from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I have three questions. Uh, in Genesis four sixteen and 17, Cain left the presence of the Lord and settled in Nod and ultimately knew his wife, knew his, his um, King James for um, consummated the marriage, they had sex. Uh, so where did the people from Nod come from since Adam and Eve were the first and only people the Lord created would populate the earth? This is a question James would get a lot. You know, where did uh, um, Cain's wife come from? Where did... Did, did uh, the the others come from? Well, well, the world has been populated. God said, "Be fruitful and multiply," and clearly, in a perfect environment, and then after the fall, in a near perfect environment, remember, people were still living for for nine hundred years. Um, um, the 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 multiplication on the earth would be rapid. I mean, the, the population would literally explode. The Bible doesn't tell the whole story. It only focuses on the people that are central to the story. So when Cain left the presence of God, he just moved where other people would have gone. You know, you can't stay in one spot. So as people left, Cain went to other people as he was kicked out of of the area. Uh, God marked him to protect him. But uh, when he said, my punishment is more, more than I can bear, he was forced to leave. And... Um, he would have gone to to a place where other people had had accumulated. You know, we don't know when um, Cain and Abel, uh, when the murder occurred. We don't know how old they were. Obviously, they're they're adults. I mean, you know, they could have been a hundred years old. So uh, all of that to say, there's a, a lot of time where the the world could have been populated. And again, people spread out. When too many people in one place, they keep spreading out, and that was the that was the case here. And we're not told who the wives are. We're just said that he had one. Remember, the story focuses on those central to the story, and and it makes no effort to fill in all of the details. Um, you said your second question is related to the first. Who is Seth's wife, uh, Enoch's mother? And where did she come from? Um, that's from Genesis 4.25. Again, we don't know who she was, but um, um, Seth, um, uh, the godly line, um, he would have found a godly woman and, uh, and married her. And, uh, but, but again, we get no details. And then he asks this in Genesis 3.24. Is the cherubim, the angelic being and flaming sword still in place today? Are they invisible to man 
and still guarding the Garden of Eden. I asked because I was thinking, since God is going to make a new heaven and new earth, the former, the Garden of Eden, would no longer be necessary. One of the things that we have to remember about the Garden of Eden, um, James, is that uh, the flood changed everything. Um, Noah's flood uh, changed the topography of the entire earth. And so clearly at that point, the gar- we can't, I mean, we, we get some very specific details about the location of the rivers and around the garden. And I mean, we should be able to pinpoint it on a match uh, on a map, but, but again, the flood changed everything. And so we don't know. Um, and we can't, we, I mean, people have never stopped trying to guess, but we don't know where it was. Um, the angel, I think was placed there to protect Adam and Eve and their kids. We know that Adam would have brought uh, probably yearly. I don't know that for a fact, but but I'm, I'm certain the festivals were spaced out. I think this is a picture. I think um, um, as Cain and Abel grew, Adam and Eve would have walked back to the edge of the garden. They couldn't go into the garden, but they'd walk back to the edge of the garden. And Adam would have told the story about how he blew it. I used to walk in the cool of the garden with God. Uh, he would he would talk about how he blew it. That's what a father would do uh, to prepare his sons. Um, so so uh, the the cherubim was there to protect them, um, to 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 be able to eat from the tree of life and live forever in sin would have been the worst possible outcome. So um, again, is the cherubim there now? We have no idea. Um, I, I probably the cherubim isn't necessary, uh, but I can promise you, especially after the flood, that nobody is going to ever find the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil and eat that fruit again. So probably not necessary. Now, I'm, I'm interested, you asked because of new heaven and new earth. Um, you know, that happens after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. I wonder sometimes, James, if... If uh, in the millennial reign, um, we're going to have, you know, now I, I got a question today from somebody who wanted to know about Noah's Ark in Kentucky and um, want to know if we had a Calvary Chapel somewhere close and that kind of thing. And and so people go and visit it. I, I, I've, I've often thought that in Jesus's millennium um, that there would be sort of uh, a tour that we could all take of the Garden of Eden at that time. Um, but remember, after the thousand years... That's when the new heaven and the new earth is going to be. So the Garden of Eden is is no longer necessary. It's been defiled. It's been off limits to, to humans um, since the fall. And I just think uh, it's not something that we have to, have to even consider or worry about. James, thank you for the questions. I appreciate them very, very much. All of us, we need to remember that God never intended to give us all of the details um, because we um, only have the details that God knows we need to end up at the person of Jesus Christ. Here's a question from Timothy. Pastor Ron, is there any hope of the gospel being preached after someone dies? I have family members who died. I would love to know they get another chance. I know Jesus was preached to those in prison, so is there hope? Uh, Jesus wasn't preached to those in prison uh, to give them a second chance. It was a victory declaration. Uh, Peter talks about um, the the souls are held captive. Um, Jesus is simply going down there to declare the ultimate victory over death. It's not an I told you so or it's in your face kind of thing, but victory had to be declared. So when Jesus descended to the lower parts of the earth, and what we're told he did is he led captivity captive. What he did, he took those um, saints, those those we'd call them believers by faith, who were in paradise, or Abraham's bosom it's also called. Um, he took them in his train to heaven after the resurrection. Um, but but those who are still in torment, Luke 16 talks about uh, two, two places separated by this big gulch, um, chasm. Um, he, he took the people in paradise with him, um, but the people that were in the place of torment 
they remain there and they will remain there until the great white uh, throne judgment when the lake of fire is created, which will be the ultimate destination for everybody who rejected Jesus Christ. So Jesus wasn't preached in the sense that, let me give you one more gospel um, invitation or one more altar call. That wasn't it. He was simply proclaiming victory. That's what it was. Um, Hebrews 9.27, Timothy says that uh, it's appointed unto men to die once and then face the judgment. So there's no second chances. Now, I realize what an emotional uh, subject this is. Um, my mother, who, um, who, who she left before I, I, I got saved, um, I don't know, Timothy, whether she's in heaven. And, and uh, you know, I can hope and pray. I know she was witnessed to by people, um, but I, I don't know whether she accepted Jesus Christ. I won't know until I get there. But I can say, and it would cheapen our, our, our gospel if we, if we made decisions like this, doctrinal decisions based on our emotions, it would be a disservice to the message of the gospel to say, well, you know, I, my mom, I'm sure she got a second chance because she's my mom. We all get emotional about this issue. I've known people that uh, had a, a struggle coming to faith in Christ. I could see the Holy Spirit working in their lives, uh, knocking on the door of their hearts. But the thing that can, well, well, if I say yes to Jesus, then I'm going to have to admit that my mom or my dad or my wife or my husband are in hell because they weren't believers. And that's something the Holy Spirit will wrestle with us over. But it cheapens our message if just because we feel bad about something, oh, well, God's a God of love and my mom can't be suffering. We've got to be honest about it. Everybody who's not a born-again believer is going to suffer forever and ever and ever. And God, we're going to pronounce all of his judgments perfectly just. We will praise him and worship him for everything that he does. That he does. And um, we have to depend on God's justice, his fairness, his holiness. Um, and one other thing we got to remember, Timothy, that God loved your loved ones, your family members, more than you do. And we know that if they died separated from Jesus Christ because of sin, it broke God's heart to judge them. I often say that, you know, to get to, to go into hell, we literally have to walk over Jesus' dead and resurrected body. But it is the righteous thing to do. And, and at some point we got to say, you know, they had free will. They had free will. I've got a, a son who's saved and another son who isn't saved. And my heart breaks for him. But I can't make the choice for him. So there's no hope of a second chance. The hope that you can have is that those loved ones, those family members who died, Jesus chased them to the very, very end. And he made it difficult for them. And if they made that choice, we got to be okay with that. We got to be okay with that, Timothy. I hope that makes sense to you and uh, understand that that uh, our emotional issues uh, we need to deal with them factually rather than, well, gee, wouldn't it be great if everybody got to heaven? No, not everybody's going to heaven. Jesus Himself said that. Thank you, Timothy. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Anonymous says, "Here's a dishonest question." Anonymous says, can God contradict himself or is his power limited? You know, this is one of those, uh, if God can do everything, can he build a rock that he can't lift? Um, and, and people that ask questions like this aren't interested in what's true. Uh, God cannot contradict himself, but it says nothing about his power or any limitations to his power. God can't contradict himself because he's perfect. If you're perfect, it's impossible to contradict yourself. You can't do that which is contrary to your nature. And uh, none of these questions aren't worthy of spending much time on at all. So ask honest questions. I'll take as much time as you need. Uh, but these are not honest questions. Here's a question from Jamie. Um, she, I think, wants to know, is evolution uh, something a Christian should believe or can believe in? Jamie, um, no. 
um, you know, I realize when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have all kinds of things that we believe that aren't true. Um, uh, I believed in evolution when I got saved. Um, it wasn't until I, I got born again, uh, the Spirit of God lives in me, and I started reading the Bible, I realized right away i got to make a decision. Did God create everything, or did all of this evolve over millions or even billions of years? Both of those things cannot be true. And the reality, Jamie, is that uh, for a Christian, a professing Christian to believe in evolution um, basically is calling Jesus a liar because he affirmed the creation account. He affirmed the fact that Adam and Eve were the very first two humans, the only two humans made directly by the finger of God. Um, and uh, it would be a really hard thing to deal with Get to have a look at Jesus and say, well, I thought you were lying about, about creation. Um, evolution and believing in a literal six-day creation, uh, a young earth, and by a young earth, the best we can tell, we have no details, but the best we can tell, the earth is between seven and 10,000 years old. And you're going to have to decide, am I going to believe the scientists who say, no, we've carbon dated this, and we've carbon dated that, and it's, and it's uh, millions of years old, or are we going to believe the Word of God? Now, remember, the scientists don't believe in God. They dismiss any validity of, of a God it creates, and, um, and, and they have an axe to grind. They've got an agenda. The Bible simply doesn't defend the creation. It just declares it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we get more detail, did it from nothing. He did it in six literal days, and then he rested, not because he was tired, but because he was establishing a pattern for mankind. And to to believe in evolution, Jamie, is, is to diminish um, our faith completely. So um, we can come to faith believing in it, but if the Holy Spirit truly lives in you, and you're trying to find the truth, the Lord will reveal it to you. And uh, that's what I would encourage people to do. Just find out what's true. I think it's one of the most important questions that uh, any any new believer could, could possibly ask. How do we know that in the beginning God? How do we know that? And we can start at the end. Jesus Christ was a real historical person. He was murdered. He, he, he was crucified. We know the the evidence is overwhelming that he didn't uh, stay dead. He he rose from the dead. And so if you start there with the established facts and work your way backwards, the Holy Spirit is going to convince you that what the Bible says is true. Let me say something else, Jamie. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are foundational, absolutely foundational. Um, if those chapters are not literally true, then the faith that Jesus declared, the faith that Paul declared, the faith that Peter and the other apostles declared isn't true. If Adam and Eve aren't the first two literal people, then we believe in a lie. And and I would say the same thing is true for the, those first 11 chapters. They're so foundational in what we believe. If it's not true, then the doctrine of original sin. Uh, Jesus said we're born condemned already. Uh, if if um, um, the first 11 chapters of Genesis aren't literally, factually true, then and only then uh, are we going to find ourselves in a place where we have nothing at all to hold on to. Let's go to Thomas from Canton, Texas. Thomas, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Thomas. Um, I had a statement that Jesus wanted me to say or uh, something that happened to me but it looks like we're running out of time so i'll just ask you the question that i have okay um is there anything historically that tells us moses's given name that his mother would have given him for the three months that she hid him because yeah. it was pharaoh's daughter who named him moses yeah T thomas i don't i don't know i watched the ten commandments too so, <laughs> yeah, no, there isn't. The only name that he was ever gone by was Moses. And and I'm pretty certain that, uh, you know, Jewish babies were, were circumcised on the eighth day. Um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty certain that the name that, um, that he was given was Moses. 
because God was the one in control, not his mother. And, um, and, and God had a plan for this man, Moses, from the beginning. Having said that, there's no way, Thomas, that we know any of that for sure. And uh, God doesn't tell us the information. So uh, we've got to just kind of hold on to, to his name is Moses. Uh, I know when John the Baptist was born, um, his mother says, name be John. And, and the men didn't want, no, you don't have anybody in your family named John. And that's when Zacharias's uh, voice came back. His name is John. Uh, that was that was a, a message communicated through the angel Gabriel, and um, I'm I'm certain that God, at least in my own mind, Thomas, I'm certain that uh, Moses was given that name um, by the direction of God, and He made sure that he got that name. Thank you, Thomas. Drive carefully, dear friend. Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Word to Stand On for Life. Everybody can smile. Paula will be here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. May the Lord bless you and keep you. It's an honor and a privilege that you tune in daily. It's really thrilling for us. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.